174. Alright, here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 174 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. And this week, we have two guests. Richard, of course, like usual. How's it going, Richard? Hey Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. Excited to talk some magic. And joining us again is Chris Van Meter. So Chris, how's it going this week? Not too bad. Uh, we're having having some fun here on this Memorial Day, although <sighs> I'm at work. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you're at work. I'm recording a podcast. Richard is... I don't know what Richard's doing. Are you doing anything for Memorial Day, Richard? Uh, yeah, I'm working. <laughs> I'm recording a <laughs> podcast, and I'm going to edit the podcast, and I'm going to publish the podcast. <laughs> That's that's a what a great way to celebrate the history of America. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to enjoy the sun later. Uh, that's true. So this week we got a few topics. First off, we're gonna finish off our battle bond discussion. We had some stuff last week during the cast, but we have the full spoiler, a bunch more cards, and kind of like a full set wrap up impressions, whatever. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna do a little bit of pro tour previewy type stuff because we do have pro tour dominaria finally coming this weekend, and uh, then we'll have some fish mail. Maybe talk about some uh, SCG stream stuff, time permitting. So anyway. Let's kick it off with our Pro Tour discussion. So, Pro Tour, this weekend, Dominaria Standard, Dominaria Limited. So, how excited are both of you for this Pro Tour? It's a little different now, being six weeks away from set release instead of right after set release. Are you still as hyped? Are you still excited? Do you feel like the format's too solved? What's your impression of this six-week-later Pro Tour thing? Uh, so without actually watching the Pro Tour, because it's it's happening in the future, I prefer right after set release. Because by now, I'm in battle bond mode, I've forgotten about Dominaria, uh, we haven't had big standard events, so it's kind of fizzled out. Uh, but maybe when we watch it, it'll be, you know, exciting again, and, you know, the hype will come back. But I think we're kind of onto battle bond, so I, I've kind of left Dominaria behind, so we have to kind of refocus and get back into the standards, so I much prefer the Pro Tour immediately after set release to kind of just build off that hype and go crazy. I, I feel the same way. I definitely prefer the Pro Tour being very shortly after the release. However, this particular standard format, I feel like it's still pretty wide open. Things have been rotating between, you know, mono red, red black aggro, black white vehicles, some type of blue white control deck, green black constrictors. So, like we have all of these different players in the meta, and things are constantly listers shifting to attack other specific decks that leave them weak to the previous decks. So there really is this weird rock paper scissor thing happening going into the pro tour, but. All of these insane, insanely great magic players are going to put their, you know, head to the grind and see if they can break it. And I'm expecting to see something new. So I, my prediction is that we will see something that we haven't seen in the standard format come out of this Pro Tour. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, too. I think I like normally the quicker Pro Tours, but I am actually really excited for Pro Tour Dominaria for a lot of the reasons Chris said. I really like this format. There's a lot of cool stuff, and it doesn't have that... Uh, feeling like with Teamer Energy a while ago, where you're just like, all right, we know what the best deck is. We got to sit through it because it's a pro tour. But it actually does feel 
open enough that we could maybe see something new. And worst case, hopefully we see a bunch of different decks. Like, that's one of the things I like about this format. Why I think Red Black, such Mono Red, and Blue White Control, those are probably the top two decks in the format. There's still a lot of decks that are good enough that people are playing them. And maybe with a bunch of pros working on it for weeks heading into this event, maybe one of those decks will find the right build and it'll actually be really competitive. So do you think... Are you expecting it to be a very high percentage of, I guess, the current best decks? Red, black, aggro, red, aggro, blue, white, control, or do you think we're going to see some surprises as far as, like, the metagame numbers? Like, how big of a percentage do you think the current top decks will be, or do you think a lot of teams will come to different understandings of the format and we'll see a bunch of different decks with a reasonable amount of players? I think it'll probably be the same percentage of top decks. Like, even if there is a deck that breaks the format, chances are it's a handful of pro teams that get access to that, and the rest of the pro tour qualifiers, the rest of the RPTQ winners and stuff, will kind of just play the meta decks. So it's not until after the pro tour that, you know, a a dominant deck emerges. So during the pro tour, I think we're going to get a a healthy dose of Karn and Hazarets and, you know, the normal decks we're accustomed to. Yeah, I think it really is just going to come down to two camps. Uh, it's going to be the best Teferi deck, whether that's blue-white control or some other deck that's splashing for Teferi versus the best Karn deck. Um, and, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of overlap between those two cards, but I could be wrong because you can play Karn anywhere. Uh, so what that ends up looking like, I'm not sure, but I think that it's rather than it being like mono-red or blue-white uh, with those archetypes, I think it's just going to be the best Teferi deck and the best Karn deck are the decks that the pro teams are going to gravitate to. That seems like a good prediction. I might throw Heart of Kirin in there as well, although maybe that is the Karn deck, one of the the Karny vehicle-y type <laughs> decks, so maybe that's kind of ends up being the same thing. So I'd be, very, I'd be very surprised if Heart of Kirin is not in the Karn deck, similar to how Heart of Kirin is just like always in the Gideon decks. Yeah, that makes sense. So... A while ago, let's see, about a year ago now, we had a pro tour where a Japanese team brought new perspectives. And the deck didn't really work out, but it was on coverage. It was really cool to see. So give me your prediction for something under the radar. You know someone, some team, some individual player is going to bring something crazy. Is there anything a little bit under the radar that you're really hoping will show up, even if it doesn't pan out and break the format, but at least it's going to show up on camera and be played? So give me your prediction for for the for the strange off the wall Decker card that you we might see, uh, not a prediction, but a hope that Jaya Ballard, <laughs> someone has found <laughs> something useful to do with her. Uh, you know, kind of left behind Teferi and Karn. We have an actual third Planeswalker in the set, so may- maybe someone can figure something out with this card. So, uh, my gut tells me there's going to be just like an awesome Lanowar Elf deck that somebody's going to find, uh, but I also just wouldn't be surprised if the new perspective deck gets updated and somebody somebody plays it again. Like, I, I had a friend send me a few lists a handful of weeks ago uh, getting ready for some random Grand Prix. He's like, yeah, I'm playing this new perspective deck. You know, it gets some upgrades. Nobody knows what's going on. So who knows? The deck is actually pretty good if you don't run into counter spells. Counter spells, if blue white controls near the top of the format, I don't know how you ever win with new perspectives, but but if there's not a lot of counter spells, it's pretty consistent. Um, for me, I think what I'm really hoping for is someone figures out Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle. I think that's the Dominaria card that has 
the most combo potential and is close enough that I could see someone maybe convincing themselves that they broke the format with Teshar and actually playing it at the Pro Tour. I don't know if that will happen. I'm not going to predict that it does, but that's what I'm hoping for. I would also like to see Mono Black Control. That's like one of my pet decks right now, and I think it's like kind of good-ish. I don't know if it'll be good enough that uh, any of the pro players will try it, but I think it's close. It's in the conversation. It could end up just being the best Karn deck. Like, I think that Treasure Map is probably one of the best cards in Standard that's just not getting any play uh, right now, and uh, Mono Black is a very good Treasure Map deck. Yeah, I play Treasure Map in, like, every deck, even when I shouldn't. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, So, um, any other Pro Tour stuff? that we should talk about. We talked about breakout decks. We talked about the big decks. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's move forward. We have a ton of battle bond to talk about. I think last week when we podcasted, it was the first day of spoilers and we had some stuff. So now we have the full set, which is a ton of stuff. So before we get into the individual cards, now that we've seen the entire set, how are you feeling about Battle Bond? I hear some people throwing around this Commander Masters, saying it's better than Iconic Masters, 25th Masters. What's your hype level? How are you feeling about the full Battle Bond set now that it's out? I think it's the perfect set to follow up Dominaria. Dominaria, I think everyone was super hype when it was spoiled, when it came out. Uh, one of the best-selling sets of all time. And Battle Bond is generating that same hype. People are calling it Commander Masters because it has so many cards for Commander. It has important reprints, and importantly, it comes in at normal pack price, which means things will be cheap. So, and it's, it's just a casual product, so it makes like all the cards playable, I guess. Like When you evaluate a set for standard, it's much more difficult because there's a certain bar your cards need to hit to be playable. Uh, with a casual set, especially one for Commander and Two-Headed Giant, the, the bar of playability is pretty low. So every new card, every new legendary uh, looks very promising and generates a ton of hype. So I think this is one of the most exciting products. Uh, they, they've kind of spoiled. It, it, kind, it kind of is up there with the uh, Dominaria and maybe the Commander decks. So calling it Commander Masters, I think, is very suiting. Yeah, it definitely strikes me as a Commander Master set, um, but it's it's great. Like it's awesome. The the cards are fun. The cards are flavorful. I've seen a lot of complaints about the art in the set, particularly from people that are artists or, or are very into art. But I really like how whimsical it is. It, it definitely resonates with me. It's one of the reasons why I prefer I preferred World of Warcraft to like almost any other MMO that I've ever played is because of how whimsical the the art is in that game. Um, but it also this also just goes to show like how good Gavin Verhey is at this role as product architect between the challenger decks and now having battle bond i can't wait to see what like these guild kits end up being i feel like gavin just has to knock it out of the park yet again yeah, I feel like they they really nailed it on all levels. Like, the set has really good reprints, and not only are they, like, expensive reprints, they're reprints that people actually want. Doubling Season is a lot different than Imperial Recruiter or something, as far as demand is concerned. Tons of people need a Doubling Season. Uh, so I'm excited to see the really good reprints. I'm also excited for a lot of the new cards. I think when you hear Two-Headed Giant 
focus product, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, like, how many people actually play Two-Headed Giant? It's not even on Magic Online. But now that we see the whole set, it's sure it's for Two-Headed Giant if you're going to be drafting it, but you can certainly play almost every one of the cards in Commander, and the multiplayer slash team focus was done in a way where the things that help your teammate can also be good political cards in just a four-player Commander game without any teammates or Two-Headed Giant implications. So, I feel like they kind of just crush it on all levels with Battle Bond. It reminds me of Conspiracy 2. Like, Conspiracy 2 was a set that was great with the reprints. This might even be better, because a lot of those reprints were more legacy-focused, and that's a pretty niche market. But I think we kind of forgot how good uh, Conspiracy 2 was, because we had these kind of, like, subpar master sets, and this kind of, hopefully, maybe will be the new way forward. I also think the $4 pack price is, it's just a huge difference. I think if we had the recent master set, and they were $4 or even $7, a lot of the complaints would go away. Away. But this feels like it's got tons of value, especially for the four dollar price point. Yeah, the, the the new cards are awesome. I really enjoy a lot of the new cards, but I'm also super excited for some of the reprints that you can now get in foil for the first time. Things like True Name Nemesis being able to get foil, things like uh, Veteran Explorer being able to get foil with this new art, uh, the new art for Diabolic Intent, which. Is, very badly needed a reprint uh it's i don't know this set is just very awesome to me so let's talk about some of the cards from battle bond uh richard why don't you guide us through what we're talking about today card wise all right we're we're gonna talk about some cards that may be playable in older formats so battle bond is not legal in standard it's not legal in modern uh it's legal in commander it's legal in vintage it's legal uh, in Legacy. So we're going to evaluate some cards and you guys tell me if these cards are playable uh, in the competitive formats. So Arena Rector. Three in a white. It's a 1-2 human cleric. When it dies, exile it. If you do, search your library for a Planeswalker card. Put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. <sighs> I don't think this is going to be legacy playable. I think it's a super sweet card, and I think that it's going to be really fairly popular, at least in Commander. Like, if you're playing Super Friends in Commander, it's great. Even if you just have a few powerful Planeswalkers, it's pretty good. But I'm guessing that it's not going to actually work out in Legacy. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to work in Legacy either, but that certainly is not going to stop people from trying. Um... Uh, I think it is a slam dunking commander, but I, I just don't think it's good enough in Legacy. Like, the the Planeswalkers that you're going to want to get with this, you aren't going to want to play in your deck. <laughs> <laughs> because you're just like a white deck trying to use this to get Planeswalkers out. Like, you don't, you're not going to want to draw your Ugin. You're not going to want to draw your 7-mana Garrick. You're not going to want to draw your, you know, Nickel Bolas. So, well, I think it's going to be awesome in commander for like super friends or even just value style decks i think it's going to be a flop in legacy yeah so the most reasonable home for this would be a nick fit type deck where uh you're playing bad standard cards anyway so you have the mana to cast this and then you use cabal therapy to sacrifice this and then you pull out your nickel bolus or your ugin but I'm not even sure those Planeswalkers are good enough. Like, even if you slam one of them down, that doesn't prevent your opponent from comboing off. 
Uh, if you're behind on board already, it doesn't help. I mean, I guess Ugin can wipe the board, but I don't know if that is powerful enough to spend all your time doing this to get one of these planeswalkers. If it was modern, you know, if it was a turn three Karn, okay, maybe, but it, it's not modern, it's legacy. People will disrupt this and you're spending a lot of time bringing out these planeswalkers, which do not end the game on the spot. Like, I'd rather spend my time powering out a Gristlebrand or something rather than trying to get my uh, my planeswalkers out. So I don't think it's playable, but people will try. Because <laughs> we haven't really been able to cheat planeswalkers in a play like this before. It sounds crazy uh, if you're someone that mostly plays standard or even modern, but I think in Legacy, there are Nick Fit builds that use Academy Rector, which is essentially the same card, but it tutors out an enchantment. And I think that's just better in Legacy. Like, the options you can get as far as enchantments you can get, especially with some of the new curses, like Overwhelming Splendor saves you if you're behind on board. You can get Dovescape to lock out spell decks and win that way. You can get Cruel Reality to finish the game. So I almost think it's just worse Academy Rector in Legacy in specific. Like, I'd rather have a small package of enchantments like that to tutor out than a Karn or an Ugin or something, I think. What, what about sideboard tech and, like, death and taxes? No one will expect it. <laughs> <laughs> just take Vial up to four, slap this in. But, <laughs> Surprise but that means you Gideon. also have to have a Planeswalker. <laughs> that is true. You gotta, you gotta run Gideon now. Yeah, you get three three mana Gideon. <laughs> you actually <laughs> you traded, mana traded down in mana, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for the troll deck, Arena Rector into Tybalt. Yep, it's gonna happen. <laughs> All right. We have another member of the Ling cycle. We have Brightling, which is one white white, three three shapeshifter. You can pay a white uh, to give it vigilance. You can pay a white to give it lifelink. Uh, pay a white to return it to its owner's hand and pay one generic to give it plus one, minus one, or minus one, plus one. This might be the most interesting legacy card, not because I'm sure it's good, but just from hearing high-end legacy players talk about this card, it's very controversial. There's some really good legacy players that think this will definitely show up in Death and Taxes and be very good, and then there's others that think it's completely unplayable and has no shot at all. So, I don't know, I'm not definitely not a expert on legacy Death and Taxes, but at least some really good players think that there's a shot that it's going to show up. My gut tells me it's good. Like, there's a lot of text on this card, and it's only cost three mana, so that usually means it's probably going to be good. Um, but this is the type of card that does so much that I don't know if what it's doing is what you want want to be doing, that I would not be surprised if this card sees zero play, but I also would not be surprised if it just, like, ends up being a staple in Death and Taxes. Like... I, I don't think anybody will know until they play it for the first time and they're just like, oh my gosh, this card's insane. Or they play it and they're like, yeah, this is a stinker. I don't want it anymore. Yeah. At three mana, you'd be cutting... Like, you have to cut something to put this card in your deck. And the question is, is this card better than what you're cutting? And that's where it becomes a problem. I think... Like, it, 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 it could just be a sideboard card, right? Like, I think the biggest value for this is that it can gain five life while attacking every turn, and it's very difficult to kill. So, like, if that's what you want in the matchup, then it seems great. Yeah, in certain matchups, it definitely seems insane. I think Mirren Crusader is a card that I've seen people debating, cutting for this, potentially, at least one of the possibilities. So, I don't know. It seems... It seems interesting, at the very least. What about for casual play with this card? Like... 
I feel like this is one of the more spiky cards, unless you're playing, like, I don't know, Shapeshifter Tribal, or there's some reason <laughs> you really want this. This doesn't really strike me as that appealing for, like, multiplayer commander. I mean, it doesn't fall into a janky tribe, aside from, like, Shapeshifter Tribal, but, I mean, it's just a good card. I, I don't see why you wouldn't run this. Like, it protects itself, it blocks well, it gains you life. So, I would, I would think you would run this in your commander deck if you're playing white. This strikes me as the type of card where um, if I'm a player who like just plays Commander and I open this in a pack, I'm going to be like, oh, well, that's cool, and then play it in my deck. But if I don't open it in a pack, I'm not going to actively seek it out. Yeah. It has four abilities. It's like so it doesn't much, draw cards, so much to though. Do. It's just, it's just, it's just a, a big, dumb creature when it comes right. I mean, it gains life, it plays offense, defense, but it doesn't do anything that I find especially exciting in Commander. You're not blowing something up, you're not drawing a card, it's just kind of like a thing, and we have so many cards in Commander that just being a pretty good thing doesn't really excite me. For four mana, you get enters the battlefield trigger, Seth, come on. You do something enter with the this. battlefield re- returns to your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh... Next card we have is Spellseeker. So two blue, or two and a blue, so three converted mana costs. One, one, human wizard. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an instant or sorcery with converted mana costs two or less. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. This seems like a another card that's pretty focused on legacy to me. Like, I don't know exactly what you do with it. People have been saying, like, high tide, you can tutor up certain combo pieces, like high tide. You can obviously just play it for value or play, like, a spell sort of, I don't know, toolbox where you can grab, like, a surgical extraction or a brainstorm or swords to plowshares. Like, it's very hard to be really bad, and it pitches to force a will. Like, I don't know. Is there any specific reason to play it, or is paying three mana with only a 1-1 body, is that just not efficient enough for Legacy, even with all the toolbox potential? So, I don't think that it's good enough for Legacy, but I think this card is actually going to see play in Vintage because it can get you both Ancestral Recall or Time Walk. There have been Aethermile Vintage decks in the past, and this seems like it could potentially bring that archetype back. Yeah, it pitches It pitches the Force of Will. And so. it pitches the Force of Will. <laughs> so it's got to be, I don't know, there's a chance that someone will try this somewhere because uh, you can shuffle it away with Brainstorm if it's bad. It pitches the Force of Will. You can grab your own Brainstorm. You can grab... Uh, time Walk and Special Recall, like Chris said. So I think people will try this, but it, it comes down, because these decks are so well-tuned, can you afford to cut one of your cards to put this in and, I guess, quote-unquote, journal around here, right? So that, that that's the question, and I don't play enough Vintage or Legacy to be able to answer that confidently. I don't like this card for Commander because I feel like is just going to get Cyclonic Rift roughly, like, 95% of the time, and Cyclonic Rift is already, like, pretty busted in Commander, and maybe too, probably too good for Commander, honestly, so I feel like getting hit by Cyclonic Rift even more consistently, I think you play it in, like, a lot of blue decks. Even if Cyclonic Rift was your only instant and sorcery, I might still play Spellseeker just to get Cyclonic Rift. Yeah, that seems perfectly fine to me. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm pretty sure this is auto-included in all blue decks now because uh, you can also blink it, you can also reanimate it. There is so many ways to get additional value out of this trigger. Uh, you can also just copy the trigger itself. Like, oh, there's just 
There's just so many ways to abuse this, so I, I suspect this will be a commander staple. Oh, Brago. It seems insane in Brago decks. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing to do this do with this in commander, I think, is going to be to find momentary blink. Ooh. And then just, like, blink it and get something else, and that's, like, mystical teachings to get mystical teachings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bla- Blade of selves. Hello. Uh. You also can get uh, Entrancing Melody as a way to gain control of creatures, too. There's Blue Blue X. Ooh, there's Ooh. a lot of interesting tutor targets, actually. Counterspell is just a solid card to have in your hand. There's You can kind of get anything. Uh, oh, I guess it... I get, you can, Deprive makes you bounce, bounce a land, but like you can get something and then use something like Disappearing Act to return it to your hand to counterspell and then just uh, play it again and get another counterspell. Yes, <laughs> uh... F- Familiar Ruse, I think, is the counter two mana counter spell that lets you. I think it's from Lorwyn. Lets you pick up a creature. Yeah, there you go. Ah, oh, blue decks, so fun <laughs> in Commander. <laughs> All right, let, let's talk about a card I'm excited for in Commander: Najila, the Blade Blossom. So two in a red, three two Human Warrior. Whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a one one white warrior creature token that's tapped and attacking. Uh, white, blue, black, red, green, so one of each color. Untap all attacking creatures. They gain trample, lifelink, and haste until end of turn. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Uh, activate this ability only during combat. That That's a lot of words that, that spells not a good time for your opponent. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know I wanted a five-color warrior commander until I saw this card, but... Now I kind of do. If you look at warriors, they are across all colors, and I think you can build a cool warrior tribal deck with it. You can also play it as a five-color human commander, which is nice to have an on-tribe commander, even though it doesn't really work with humans like it does warriors. And you can definitely go, like, combo style. If you can uh, turn your creatures into mana producers, like with Cryptolithrites, and give them Vigilance, you just, like, tack and tap your creatures to pay the ability and attack and make more creatures and keep doing it. So I feel like this is a pretty sweet build around commander this card is so ridiculous i didn't know why they printed this <laughs> it's like one of those cards like hey do you want to design a card I'm like sure i like warriors let me let me give it so many abilities if it just had half of its abilities it'd still be good but the <laughs> fact that uh you get warriors for attacking the fact that you can keep getting additional attack steps it's not like combat celebrant where it, you know it's kind of like a one shot this can just keep going if it survives and you can also uh, do it for other players. So I can give you additional combat steps during your turn uh, if if I felt like it. So as a political tool, it's insane as well. And if, you know, you have another buddy with a warrior deck, well, that's also insane because they get more warriors. So this card just does, like, far too much for a 3-mana three 3-2. Three <laughs> so it is actually insane that they printed this. And I'm very excited to try this thing out. Yeah, for, for anybody that's a fan of killing all of your opponents with Aggravated Assault, now you can play it in your command zone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that it doesn't say non-token warrior, because the tokens, like, make more tokens, right? Like, I yeah. usually there's, like, a safety valve on there to keep that from happening, but it's, it seems very easy to just, like, attack and win the game with this card if you build your deck around it. Definitely. I mean, you, you gotta have some sort of payoff for being five colors. It's true. Alright, I have a weird one for you guys. Grothama All Devouring. Three green green. It's a 10-8. A legendary creature worm. 
First legendary worm, by the way. Other attack or other creatures have when this creature attacks, you may have it fight Grothama. When Grothama leaves the battlefield, each player draws cards equal to the amount of damage dealt to Grothama this turn by sources they controlled. I don't know what to think about this card. I mean, it's cool that we have a worm commander and we never had a worm commander. So I think that's awesome. It's really big. It's going to die a lot. I like the idea of building around it where you're intentionally like damaging it somehow to draw a bunch of cards. I don't know if you uh, like blasphemous act or something to draw 13. I'm not exactly sure how to make it work. So I don't know what to think of this card, honestly. This card is extremely confusing. Um, it's one of those situations where, like, the first time it dies, everybody's going to go, okay, wait, so what happens? And then you have to figure it all out, um, which I guess usually is, isn't the worst. Uh, a, a funny thing is I actually tweeted at Gavin when this card first got spoiled um, a, a joke about how I, I can imagine this card was pitched exactly as is with the words, but it was a 10-10. And Gavin's like, what, are you crazy? This needs to at least be a 10-8. Uh, so like the, the numbers just seem kind of arbitrary on it, but he said that they reduced the toughness because they wanted it to die in combat. Um, but, but yeah, it's, I don't think this is going to see any play uh, outside of Commander. But for those of you who have been waiting for your legendary worm, now you got it. Yeah, so I think... I think the intent of this card was a 5-mana 10-8. So that's 18 points of stats for 5-mana, which is very, very good. And the downside is if, if you somehow fight and kill this, uh, you get you get to draw cards. So your opponent draws lots of cards. So we've seen cards like that before, but it has so much combo ability on your behalf. Like if you Blasphemous Act, uh, that's just draw, you know, 13 cards. Or uh, if you... Uh, you know, you can attack and have your own creatures fight this to draw cards as well. So if you have a big creature, uh, five mana to draw eight cards uh, at least uh, is is not that bad. It's a good rate. And then you can also do weird things like uh, kind, of, kind of the Yargle thing where you, you berserk it, you give it trample, you double its power and toughness for a one-shot kill. So there's a lot of weird things you can do with this. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if I want to make a legendary worm deck with this because its ability is just so weird, but it's one of those fun build-around-me cards where I'm sure someone will come up with something cool to use this card with. Sure. I kind of wish it had Trample, but that's... I guess we're just splitting hairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, fun times. We're coming up with uh, some new commanders here with names I cannot pronounce. So... <laughs> Zinderspilt, <laughs> Eye of Wisdom. <laughs> there are no vowels in that. Four in a blue. It's a one-four legendary creature, uh, homunculus. Partner with Okan, Eye of Chaos. At the beginning of a combat, on your turn, flip a coin until you lose a flip. When a player wins a flip, draw a card. So Okun, Eye of Chaos. Four in a red. Three-three. It's a Cyclops Berserker, legendary creature. Uh, partner with Zender Spilt Split uh, At the beginning of combat on your turn Flip a coin until you lose a flip Whenever a player flips 
uh, whenever a player wins a coin flip, double Oquin's power and toughness until end of turn. So I think it's important to talk about them together in this case, because I think they they have one very specific purpose, and that is you 100% of the time you play them together, and 100% of the time you're building coinflip.deck. The cool thing is, we were kind of just talking about that with the legendary worm, we didn't really have a coin flip commander. Like, you can play a random commander, but there wasn't really a coin flip tribal or archetype commander, and these are, like, the perfect cards, and people are really hyped for coin flipping. Like, surprisingly hyped, because we have seen a ton of coin flip cards get bought out, spike in price, uh, I think... I was going to say, Frenetica Freed has gone from $0.30 cents to $14. <laughs> yeah, Carrick's Thumb also spiked, Chance Encounter spiked, so people are excited to build this deck. So with Frenetica Freed, let me make sure I'm right on this. Is that just essentially uh infinite combo? Like, two card, you play your commander, you flip a whole bunch of coins with the ability on the stack and, like, draw your entire deck and make your Oaken infinitely big, essentially? Yeah. That seems... That seems kind of busted. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess fr- frenetic sliver also works. Oh yeah, frenetic sliver should work. You win the game with chance Ooh, and, encounter, and that, one, and that one's only forty-eight cents. Maybe <laughs> I should get some frenetic slivers. <laughs> Pro- probably should. Everything else with coin flip on it is going up in oh, price. You know what? It actually. Uh, you only flip the coin if the creature is in play. Oh, so they, it's, a, they, it's a fix. They, they, they fixed it. So. Let me ask you, that's obviously the purpose of these. Is there any chance that Coin Flip Commander will actually be good? Or is this just like a janky, fun deck that people really want to build because it's so unique? Like, is this a good commander deck or just a fun commander deck? Define good. <laughs> like, like, competitive? Can, do you think you can, like, will you win Will you win some amount of the time with it? Or is it like an against the odds, you win 10% of the time, but you go down flipping type of thing? I, I think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that we're going to see this pair in, you know, top competitive EDH tables, but I think you can build a deck that's respectable, that will do cool things. I mean, I'm going to build I Tribal, which is probably not respectable. <laughs> Coin Flip Tribal is probably better, but come on, you have, like, two different creatures with one eye, like, and, and we have, like, we have other homunculus in the set, and we have, like, Totally Lost... And we have like a whole bunch of Cyclops from a bunch of sets. Like this is this is a way better deck, guys. Sorry, <laughs> e- evil <laughs> evil eye of Ormsby Gore. Oh no, it's the wrong color set. That's black. Oh, <laughs> that 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 is a good card. That is a good card. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know about good. It has an eye. <laughs> all right. Uh, any cards you guys want to talk about in particular? I think we've covered all of the cards we wanted to talk about. So I think that. Arcane Artisan might actually see some legacy play. Really? Mm. Is this gonna... Well, we should... Uh, go ahead and read the card yeah, first. Let me read the card. So, Arcane Artisan, 2 in a blue, zero three, 3 uh, Human Wizard, uh, 2 in a blue, tap, target player draws a card, then exiles a card from their hand. If a creature card is exiled this way, that player creates a token that's a copy of that card. Uh, when Arcane Artisan leaves the battlefield, exile all tokens created with it. At the beginning of the next end step. So what are you doing with this, Chris? Is this a, a way to cheat Emrakul into play? No, you're just making an Iona token, and then your opponent won't be able to kill your Arcane Artisan. Ooh. And then the second time you make Emrakul or Grizzlebrand. I, I like that idea. 
And it pitches yeah, it, it, to force. It, it, it pitches to force a whale. It's just like another way to reanimate um, that isn't getting hit by like Grapdigger's Cage or uh, Containment Priest, things like that. So is this a sideboard card or is this so it's main deckable? It, I think it's main deckable. Like I would just play it over show and tell in reanimate because like sometimes you just lose to the other show and tell decks. But like this gives you the ability to like, you know, you could play it on turn one and then turn two, you can just like go off without having to interact with your graveyard. That's right. really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. The other one I wanted to mention really quick for tournament play is Archon of, Val- Archon of Valor's Reach. Which is Ooh, yeah. six mana, five, six, flying vigilance, trample. When it enters the battlefield, you get to choose artifact, enchantment, instant sorcery, planeswalker. Players can't cast spells of the chosen type. So the most obvious home that people have been talking about is in vintage with Oath of Druids, where if you can get this down like uh, very quickly, turn one, turn two against, uh, let's say shops, for example, and name artifact or against a storm deck and name sorcery or whatever, you can kind of just win the game on the spot with this card, naming the right thing against certain decks. So I don't know if I, uh, how how Oath decks really work or how this compares to the other options as far as I win the game Oath targets, but it's something that people have been talking about, so it's probably in consideration at least. Yeah, I think it, I also wouldn't be surprised to see it show up in uh, any legacy deck that's playing Green Sun Zenith. Like, it's six mana, the card is very much castable, and you can search for it with your Green Sun Zenith, and it's just a very good top-end card. Like, if you're playing against, you know, a Force of Will, Swords to Plowshares deck, and you're able to get it in play and name instance, they just don't really have any good ways to get rid of it. Yes, Nickfit. <laughs> Everything goes into <laughs> Nickfit. <laughs> and you can natural order for it. Yep. Ooh, that's true. Nickfit is is the the commander of legacy decks. How people always say, "Oh, it's playable in commander." <laughs> that is that is Nickfit to legacy. Put it in my Nickfit deck, <laughs> basically. But the the Iona comparison is interesting because if you're just playing this as like a hate card that you either reanimate or show and tell in, the question is, uh, given all of the unfair decks in the format. Uh, which is the better hoser, cutting you off a particular color or cutting you off a particular card type? And uh, I haven't actually looked at it, but you have to go through all the decks and figure out, you know, which one works better. Uh, This is a 5-6 Flying Vigilance Trample Body, though. So uh, in aggro matchups where you need to block and attack and fly over things, this this actually does uh, quite a bit of work as well. Iona also only affects your opponent, but this affects both players. That's also a good point. Although I do like with this card, Iona is ridiculously hard to actually cast in most decks that play it. This is oh, yeah. this is a little more practical to just like if things go wrong and you're not turn oneing it or turn twoing it, you can just like play a bunch of ancient tombs and lotus petals <laughs> and actually just hard cast an archon. Yeah, so uh, this card uh, strikes me a lot similar to Dragonlord Dramoka, which did see play like in that slot in vintage. So in the in the oath decks. So I think that brings us to the end of our Battle Bond spoilers. So, all right. So we want to quickly mention there's been a topic near the top of Reddit. People have been talking about it. Uh, SCG Tour streams have become a little bit more reliant on long advertising breaks over the last year or so. And people have just recently started complaining about it a lot. So have you all been watching any of the SCG streams? Are there too many ads? If it's a problem, is there an easy solution to the problem that's not going to cost tons of money, which I'm sure is a big reason that we 
have this. Like it's it would I'm sure Star City Games would love to have five commentary people and do time walk magic, but that's really expensive to be flying more people around the country and putting them in hotels and all that stuff. So what do you think about uh this conversation about streams, advertising, etc.? I think it's a fine conversation to have. I, I think as viewers, if we're not happy with it, we should voice our complaints. And, you know, people will try to give helpful suggestions, uh, but we don't know the financial situation or we don't know the decisions that SCG is making. But as long as they know we're unhappy uh, and, you know, we, we actually back that up, like, hey, we don't watch their streams or whatever, and they see that, then they can work to fix it. Right. And if they don't want to fix it, that's fine. That's, that's their decision as a company. Or if they do fix it or, you know, they have to shift budgets or whatever. Uh, but, you know, do understand that some of the solutions we propose, like time walking matches, uh, that costs money. Uh, SEG almost canceled the tour. Uh, I think it was either last year or the year before. And then they last minute saved it. Uh, so maybe this was their last minute save. So, you know, do you want ads or no SCG tour whatsoever? So it's not as easy as, oh, this sucks. Let's fix it. Um, but we, we should voice our complaints, right? Like if there's too much ad time and you're not happy with it, uh, we should give the feedback and hopefully SCG can do something to address it or fix it or, or something. But, uh, it, it is tough because they've stated before that this is not very profitable for them. Uh, there's a reason they're the only non-Watsi people streaming big events. Um, they've been doing it for a while, so I'm going to assume they know what they're doing. And if this is the best they can make it work, then it's kind of scary for, for Magic coverage if we lose another kind of big tournament we see on the weekend. So I hope they can sort it out. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see what happens next year. Like, they have had Ultimate Guard as a sponsor for the SCG Tour. They picked up Twitch this year as a sponsor for the SCG Tour. Companies signed on to sponsor that particular event. So I would be a little surprised if we don't see some more sponsors for for the, for the Tour coming in for next year, which could create some type of, um, you know, additional revenue to make more type of content for it uh, but I think Richard is right like we definitely have to voice our complaints um, I would urge that people try to be as constructive as possible uh, because if you're just you know typing expletives and caps on reddit talking about how much you hate Star City like that does nothing to you know get your point across to give suggestions and it just tends to rile up other people um and, and i do know that they listen I'm, I'm good friends with cedric he's the voice of the scg tour he's their you know head of their social media t type marketing stuff uh and they definitely do listen so giving giving them that feedback is the best thing that you can do uh to try and make it a better viewing experience yeah i tend to just I definitely think it's a good idea to voice any concerns you have or leave feedback, like Chris said, in a respectful and constructive way. And I tend to give Star City Games a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in these things, because in all honesty, like, they were for a long time just clearly beating official Wizard Stream back when Channel Fireball, before they were doing GPs. Like, Star City Games is pr was pretty much the gold standard for coverage for a long time, so... 
it's not like I feel like, oh, they, they don't know what they're doing and they're messing this up. I kind of feel like, well, Star City Games knows how to make really good streams, and if for some reason they need all this advertising, they're probably like doing it for a reason, and maybe you don't see it if you're in the Reddit chat, or I don't see it because I don't work at Star City Games, but I don't think they're just messing it up, because Star City Games has shown that they really do know how to put on a high-quality stream, more so than probably, I mean, Wizards has improved a ton with Time Walk Magic and their improvements to coverage, but for a long time, Star City Games was just the best there was as far as tabletop uh, magic coverage. All right, here here is my crazy theory, which I hope will will happen. Magic Arena saves SCG. So Wizards <laughs> launches Magic Arena. It is successful, and it get it gets the attention of people because it's a quote unquote esports. So you're gonna get like Red Bull, Intel, like kind of these esports sponsors, and then they'll turn around and say, "Hey, look, there's this big paper tournament that happens all the time. We should get in on that." And then that's how we get our first kind of non-MTG sponsor. Could happen. I mean, uh, it, Magic becoming an eSport, I assume, would be good for the paper game as well, like if Magic Arena did take off like that. Yeah, because we need, we need like, Old Spice or Dollar Shave Club. We need, we need some of these, like, big companies that advertise online, but not, you know, not just kind of the, the Magic sponsors like you know the the suppliers and the card shops and things like that i don't know about mad uh, dollar shave club i don't think most magic players shave at least most of our <laughs> podcasts me and chris both have pretty good beards going so uh, why you gotta call me out like that Seth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah where's where's your beard richard <laughs> uh i i can't i can't i can't grow one of sufficient uh, quality don't worry we will just collect our trimmings and send them to you you can make shift to your own beard yeah <laughs> All right, we're inventing the beard wig. It's happening. Uh, all right, let's let's move on to fish mail where we get a few minutes left. All right, uh, if you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Five hearts in a row. Hey, guys, do you like rock music? If so, who's your favorite rock musician? I really enjoy Taylor Swift. Wait, is Taylor what? Swift even... <laughs> Is this a is this a troll comment? Taylor Swift isn't a rock musician, is she? I, I'm gonna defer to you guys who listen to music. Oh. Is Taylor Swift? I, a rock I, I I I can enjoy Taylor Swift, but I don't believe she is a rock musician. Yeah, uh, I do like rock music, uh, especially like indie rock and kind of classic rock to some extent, older stuff. Uh, I'm gonna go with with uh, I think Wilco Jeff tweed i believe the is the main wilco guy so i'm gonna go with uh with that as my favorite rock musician uh so my favorite rock band is incubus and i think that brandon boyd is extremely talented but i think my favorite rock musician uh is dave Grohl. he can just do it all Ooh, that is a good one that's yeah there's a lot of dead ones too that were very good, but I know nothing about what you guys discussed. <laughs> I did not recognize a single it's like name. Talking about magic to non-magic players, the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Juan Pepe fourth. How much of a price drop do you think doubling doubling season will see? So let, let's get this out of the way real quick. Doubling season. What is the new price you guys are expecting? When should I buy battle bond cards? These, these are kind of the two most popular battle bond questions we get. Uh, I think that doubling season will end up in the $40 range. That seems like a reasonable prediction. I could see it hitting hitting 30 I think, for a, a period of time, but I don't think it'll settle there. As far as buying battle bond, 
if you look at like conspiracy and other similar sets usually you're looking at like three to six months after the set release being kind of the floor prices for a lot of the cards. So I would be targeting around when we're getting Guilds of Ravnica this fall and everyone's focused on standard and rotation and new standard stuff. That's when I would probably be looking at is probably the low point to pick up uh, the reprints from Battlebond. Okay, and for funsies, what is the price of Foil True Name? Oh, jeez. A lot. <laughs> I think that I think that it'll end up being like it'll come out. Let, let's see what, what is it now on. I guess I can just check Card Kingdom. So it looks like uh, actually I don't even know if we have. Yeah, we don't even have the foils up for pre-sale yet. Jeez. Uh, so so Mike. Wow. eBay. So there's one on eBay. Buy it now for five hundred. Yeah. So, so I think what's going to be happening is it'll like pre-sell for. 199 once people get it up and that three to six month range it'll drop down to a hundred dollars and then from that it could literally go up to infinity if they never reprint it again yeah i'll i'll go with that i'm not i haven't studied foil reprints like that too much but it'll be expensive it's a it's a legacy staple and it's never been yeah it'll end up in that same realm of like the force of will reprint uh liliana the veil original innistrad uh Jace original World Wake, like I think it'll end up in that area at some point if they don't reprint it again. All right, uh, the Green Robbie just realized I've been listening to the podcast for over a year now, and that your 200th episode is coming later this year. Do you have anything special planned? Uh, also, do you play Penny Dreadful? Ooh, I think didn't we do a live podcast for episode 100? Maybe we'll do do something like that again. That was kind of fun. I think, Chris, did you actually guest on that a long time ago? I almost think you were a guest on, on that I episode. Was. I have not played Penny Dreadful. I get asked about it a lot. My The stumbling block for me in Pe- uh, Penny Dreadful <laughs> is it's ridiculously hard to build decks because I haven't found a way to just like filter by stuff that's legal. I guess Scryfall can do it, but I'm used to using like Magic Online. So if there was a Magic Online filter for legal and Petty Dreadful, I'd be much more likely to try it. But knowing what is legal in the format is challenging. Uh, what is this, like cards that are a one penny on Magic Online? Uh, yeah, so Penny Dreadful, I should, probably a lot of people don't know what it is. Uh, Penny Dreadful is like a budget format. Only cards that are legal are worth a penny on Magic Online, and it updates every set release. So whatever's a penny on set release day is legal until the next set release, and then it, it changes again. So if it goes up in price, uh, in between, it's still legal. All right, so that, that sounds like a no from Chris. (laughs) I also haven't played Penny Dreadful, but... We should probably try it at some point because a lot of people uh, keep talking about it. We did a we did a commander match once. That's as far as I've went with Penny Dreadful, though. All right, next question, Jonathan Freeze. With Battle Bond sports themes, do you think this could lead to the creation of an Urza's sporting goods card cycle? <laughs> Maybe in the next unset. <laughs> well, I, I totally don't. What what is this? What is the reference to? I don't understand. Uh, I did. Is there a reference? I just thought it was. I, th- I think idea. it's just referencing on how like Battle Bond is like an arena style combat, like sports teams. Like there's a card called Fumble, things, things of th- things of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it would have been cool if there would have been like some type of equipment that was like a uh, you know high tops or sneakers or like something something <laughs> like that. I mean, that could have been in the set. I, I don't know if we're going to see it <sighs> later on. Maybe Battle Bond too. 
I really wanted a punt card. Yeah, that's I really the wanted biggest a punt myth card. for me. If they have fumble, like it seems like you could have punt because ah oh, man, the memes, the memes. All right, uh, end of Fernoft. Do you think Wizards will finally keyword Mill in Core 19 or Ravnica? Why have they never keyword? Is there like an official reason why Mill has never been keyworded? I I actually don't. Doesn't know. make any sense, right? I think all keywords are intuitive. Is that correct or no? I think that you know I, I don't know. I, I think that maybe it just happens too infrequently to like actually keyword it. Yeah, it's it's so ubiquitous that even Hearthstone players use this term, and they they have no idea where this comes from. So, but I I just think it doesn't make any sense. Like, I think most mechanics, when you read them, you understand what like trample, vigilance, lifelink, things like that. Where if you're a new player, you read mill, you're like, what is what does this even mean? So I I think that prevents it. I actually I looked it up as you were talking, and that is one of the big reasons. Uh, flavor is one that comes up, and also uh, grokability. I guess is the term the mother uh, ship has used. It's not easy to grok or get. So it, when you see flying, it's kind of intuitive what that does, even if you're not a magic player. But if you don't know what millstone is and know why mill is called mill. You don't intuitively understand it, like you were saying. All right. Uh, Leet 10. I understand you and Safranalo will be at Grand Prix Vegas. Should we mortals let you live your lives and not bother you? Or would you encourage fans and followers to say hi, have a conversation? Oh, bother them for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the reason. I mean, the primary reason we're going is to meet people and sign stuff. So feel free. You're definitely encouraged to... Uh, to come and say hello and if we're not doing anything play a game of magic or get some stuff signed or whatever so yeah definitely look us up yeah i I think we'll release some some kind of official thing stating what we're gonna do and when we're gonna do it and things like that for vegas but yeah if you if you see us around come say hi better yet wear mtg goldfish t-shirt and come say hi (laughs) they'll sign they'll sign your t-shirt for you yeah random keho for modern, regardless of deck, what are cards one should have readily available in their collection for sideboarding purposes? Oh man, that would be a good article actually, because there are some <laughs> cards that show up all the time. But uh, I would say the classic graveyard hate spells like Relic of Progenitus, Rest in Peace, Stony Silence is another one that you almost always have. A braid has been creeping up. Start with the colorless stuff, I guess, as much as possible, because those go in any deck, but then you have, like, those color-specific Rest in Peace, uh, Ancient Grudge, uh, and so forth. Yeah, that that does actually sound like a very good article. Somebody should write that article. (laughs) I'm positive Seth has actually said this exact phrase before. (laughs) I'm sure this question has come up before, too, so... We should probably get on it. Maybe, maybe I'll have to revitalize my writing career and write that article. <laughs> <laughs> Jay the Human, would Battle Bond be a good addition to Brawl? Ooh. That, I think that's it... one of my complaints, that we can't play in Brawl, but it, it makes sense because Brawl is standard cards and this is not standard. Yeah, I think it would be weird in Brawl. I think it would be fun, but I think it would be confusing because of how Brawl is marketed as standard. Almost every time they print a set like this, I wish the cards were illegal and modern, though. There's so many cards that I don't think will make it in Legacy, but would be really fun and probably not broken in modern. I agree. All right. Uh, see what's on. What are your thoughts on bringing back the walk mechanics? Island walk, swamp walk, back into standard. 
I don't think they're especially fun mechanics. Like, I, I like them because I like the history of the game, but I don't think that the random gotcha, you got a basic land of the wrong type cards are that much fun as far as gameplay yeah, is you, concerned. You don't want to create feel-bad moments for people doing something that they like doing and playing specific colors is like falls under that category. So, like, if I'm that guy that I only play green decks because I, I love green, I identify with it, and then just like my opponent has a forest walk creature, it's just like, wow, I'm just being punished for doing what I like to do. I wonder, could we see, like the equivalent of Hexproof from Black or whatever for Island Walk? Like, what would that be? <laughs> hexproof from Forest? <laughs> I don't know, that's weird. <laughs> uh, but I do like the flavor of the old... Uh, like, they should just make the creature small and weak. Like, don't make a 6-6, six, six, you know, Swamp Walker. Make, like, a 1-1. One, because one. we do have unblocked. Uh, I would creatures. actually rather see something where it's, like, the creature gain, like gets an ability if your opponent has a basic land of that type. So, like... This creature has menace as long as your opponent controls a forest or something like that, because it just like makes them more formidable in combat in whatever terrain that is. Ooh. Oh, I like that idea. Like something that isn't straight up unblockable, but does give a benefit. I could definitely see that. I mean, we we have that with the the knights in uh, Dominaria, because if your opponent controls a black permanent, it's I guess any, you're, any, anybody, your white knight thing. So it's 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 kind of there. All right, uh, last question: five hearts in a row. How do you stay motivated to actually play Magic? I love brewing decks, but when it comes down to playing, I often chicken out at the last minute. I can't even motivate myself to play Magic Online. I think that's fine. <laughs> like, if you just like building decks, then build decks. Like, I, that's the thing I like about Magic, is you can do it however you're, you want to do it. I never really have trouble motivating myself very rarely to play Magic, because I just, I really enjoy it. And I've really enjoyed it, even before I was doing content. I played a lot of Magic, because I just really like playing Magic. So. This is something that I've actually struggled with as I've gotten older, and my best piece of advice is to don't fight it, don't force yourself, and just do what you enjoy. Like, I do way more talking, writing, reading, watching, building decks with Magic than I do actually playing Magic. But then there'll be periods of time where I'm just like, man, I really want to play, and I'll play Magic online, or I'll go to FNM, or I'll go to a PPTQ, or fly to a Grand Prix. So just don't force it, and do what you enjoy doing, and it just all comes around. Yeah, I, I, I like what Chris said there. I, I haven't played Standard in a really long time, even though I should. Uh, I play Arena Standard now <laughs> because I enjoy it, and then I play Modern and stuff. And uh, eventually, I'll come back to Standard when I feel like it. I, I don't think you should kind of force yourself to do something um, you don't like. And if it's anxiety, or like, say you actually want to play Magic, but you're uh, afraid that your deck is not good enough, or you're afraid of, I, I don't know, like, say going to FNM. A lot of people are, are afraid of going to FNM. Uh, I would say... Uh, kind of just do it at least once. Uh, maybe get a friend to go with you, uh, or at least try it once. And oftentimes you'll find that it's not as scary as you think. Magic players may be scary online, but in person, uh, you know, not everyone is is toxic. Not everyone will will scold you for making a play mistake or anything like that. Most players are really, uh, really kind, and they'll help you, and they'll help you with your deck, or they'll help you with your play, or whatever. So I would just encourage you to try it if it's a. a a thing of yeah. anxiety. That's all our questions this week. So thank you everyone for sending them in. If you have any questions, send them to the hashtag MDGFishmail on Twitter. 
Huh? And I think that brings us to the end of episode 174 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard and Chris, thanks for hanging out. It's always a blast. And thanks for everyone for listening. So, go enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day if you're here in the U.S. Or enjoy your day wherever you are. So, this is the crew signing out. We'll talk to you next week.